Not that many years ago, gambling was constrained to Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Now 36 states have legalized it, and it's exploding through the country. Is that a moral issue? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. 20 years ago, there was a big scandal. William Bennett, who had been the secretary of the Department of Education, he wrote a book called The Book of Virtues. So he had set himself up as a moral leader of the nation. And then all of a sudden, it was found that he lost millions of dollars at Las Vegas gambling. At the time, the, the church came out very much denouncing him. Most Christians said gambling was immoral. And, and Bennett's response was basically, well, I had millions of dollars that I could afford to lose it, so I wasn't being negligent of my family, and there's no sin in gambling whatsoever. Since then, the mind of America, the mindset has very much changed, that most people in America, they see gambling all around them, they see governments that start lotteries to raise money. I mean, we have, as a society, accepted gambling in all different kinds of forms, and it's, ex- it's exploding rapidly in this country. So how big of a problem is that? I mean, when you think about this, the the gambling industry is certainly a growing industry, and it's a really quickly growing industry. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it tonight was just that a lot of people who may not have either been tempted to gamble or had the opportunity really to gamble, now it's going to be available coming, coming to a neighborhood near you. I mean, the gambling industry is now bigger than the Coming airline. Coming to a phone near you. Exactly. You're, yeah. So, I mean, if you, the, the gambling industry is bigger than the airline industry up to this point. And if you have any interest in sports now, you have these professional sports leagues that for many years have been very much against gambling. They were against online gambling. Now the online gamblers are sponsors of the leagues. And your, favorites, your favorite athlete is retiring and – being hired by one of these, say, online gambling outfits or something like that. So it's a it's a big enough of an issue that it's now available to you. You don't have to go travel somewhere. You don't have to end up one location. It's coming to you. We're talking about it here partly because it just became legalized in North Carolina. The, the governor signed bills where at certain venues, certain sports venues, you can go and you can gamble and not just some things that are happening in that venue. You can go to the local hockey rink and you can gamble on the horses in Kentucky. So it's something that we have to deal with as Christians now that we may not have had to deal with, at least not at this sort of industrial level. Everybody's had to deal with, oh, is there a moral problem with playing poker for anything more than Skittles or even with Skittles? But now it's a big enough thing that we have to think, really, when, you, when I gamble, what kind of theological assumptions am I making about the world when I participate in this activity? And are those assumptions sinful or not? I mean, I remember when North Carolina was adopting a, a lottery, and that was a big fight. And the churches were involved in that fight to say, how can you legalize the lottery? You're basically you're, – you're, functionally saying that the state, in order to raise money, should be committing sin. That was a fairly widely held view in the church. And it was a big argument, and they had brought the vote the bill up multiple times over multiple years, keep trying to do it, and finally, I forget when it was, it was like 2000 or around there, the, the bill finally passed. And, you know, the idea of their immorality associated with that has largely been diminished, and it hasn't been that long. 
And once it's gone now, it, it, it is being much more widely accepted. Because, I mean, the traditional, you know, Baptist thing is you can't even play cards or, you know, dice even without money involved. Even, you know, the things themselves are so associated more with More fundamentalist, not necessarily oh, sure. Baptist, well, but fundamentalist, yeah. Right. But, you know, but, you know you know the the objects themselves are so are are tainted because they're used in in gambling. I mean gambling's a good issue to look at I think for a lot of reasons because you can definitely look in historically I mean the church has held that it like you said not just in America but if you look at like in the reformed tradition the church has long held that gambling is, is sinful and you can see that in America and it's a useful topic because as you see that decay gambling's one of those sins that there's not a bible verse that says thou shalt not gamble so it's it's an indicator of the church's because there's two parts. One, you can see the church's waning influence, and you can really see how the church had influence earlier and lost it. And the other part is is that it requires the church to take scriptural concepts and bring them together and say this is wrong. And so, and so, I mean, it's a really useful idea because it, it speaks to kind of the the church's strength and some of the things that are required for the church to be an influence on society. That they don't just say, you know, people always chapter and verse, chapter and verse. Well, that's not <laughs> scripture. Isn't chapter and verse? God teaches you so many things, and you then take it. And so, the fact that the church has held this to be wrong, you either have to look back at them and go, they didn't understand how to use the Bible, or the church today doesn't. And, and that's a really useful thing to understand and grapple with because it, it speaks to what the nature of being a Christian is. Can, can we vote for the church today? <laughs> yeah, which one is it? Which one? <laughs> I mean, both of you have talked about gambling as a sin and just kind of saying it's a sin. And at this right. point, that's just an assertion. But I, I mean, it, it is. I, think Jonathan we, loves I think we actually <laughs> have to be careful about that because is it, is it a sin to to gamble with Skittles. I think that gets to be a harder question. And and and, right. and really, and it's a harder question, but if, you know, if you take your average 22-year-old reformed Christian guy and said, hey, can you articulate an argument for why gambling is a sin or might be considered a sin? I don't think they could do it. Right. You know, it's just not the way that the church is thinking or training people to think right now. And I do think that it comes because, you know, you were saying that it's, is it the church lacking influence? And I would almost put it in that same concept in different words. Is the church being influenced by the society or is the society being influenced right. by the church? And I think right now, like you're saying, that the 22-year-old reform guys, a lot of them couldn't even articulate as to why it might be wrong. And and that's because we've absorbed a lot of other lessons from the society around us that then you get into something that's a more complicated argument. Well, we've absorbed a lot of other garbage first, so we can't we can't overthrow that when you get down to gambling. So why is gambling wrong? Where you're, you know, dealing with money, you know, and not, you know, dollars, you know, not pennies, you know, because the, the question of can you play, you know, a gambling game without, you know, money? Well, if 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 people just stop gambling and 100 years later, there's I mean, there's not going to be a problem with the game. Um, so then it's kind of a, a question of how much association is. And I don't think that's really what we want to be talking about here. We're talking about actual, you know, games where we're you know, multiple dollars, significant numbers of dollars are on the line. Or something of value is basically being put up to chance, what people call chance, something that you're going to say, I'm going to put my money up, you're going to put your money up, we're going to, something's going to happen, and I get your money if, if, if what I've, you know, if what I've 
what I hope happens happens, and if and if what you and if it doesn't, then you get my money. And it could be you know some element of skill as well, you know, because you know some things. And I think I think I think for the most part, you want to stick primarily with the idea, relatively of you're putting it to you're 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 relatively putting it to chance. I mean, there, there's definitely could be elements of skill involved, but and, I'm just saying. And I think that there's that's one of the differences between private gambling and public gambling is private gambling. A lot of times, you'll go. Hey, a dollar a hole while I play golf and whoever wins each hole, they you know, give a dollar to the other person or whatever. That that certainly has skill involved as opposed to right. there's two teams over there. And there's some skill involved that you say this team's better than that. But a lot of the public stuff is a lot more random. I mean, you're you're just guessing against a bunch of other people that are guessing that have the same information that you have. And there's not that much skill involved. I mean, and fundamentally, I mean, where I would say there's a big part of it is in the sense of is this you know? There's a part of it where you go. Does God give Does God give me the warrant to dispose of my money by putting it up against throwing by just saying let's throw this? You know, you're going to throw this, and if this happens, I'm going to give you my money. There's this part of it where do I have the right to do that? Do I have the freedom to do that? Does God give me this? Does God say this is what you should do? This is a good way to use your money is to put it up to chance and to say whenever you do this. And the on the counter side is should you want to take someone else's money by them doing that same thing. I mean, there's this fundamental aspect to it that that a lot of people don't like to, to actually deal with is the fact of, God, this is not how God tells us to use our money. This is not something that we have. God tells us that we gain our money by work, that we go out and we actually do work. And and when you gamble, you're doing something very different than what God has told us to do. Right, and you know, the question is, do we have, what type of, you know, Christian are you? Are you saying that, well, you know, you owe God going to church on Sunday, not kill, murder, steal, commit adultery, you know, tack on a few more. That's that's what being a Christian is. Or is it something where you are a servant of God, where all your life is to be devoted to the service of God? Everything that you have is given you by God and is to be used for his purposes. And, you know, what type of, you know, view you have of Christianity is going to define where you end up. Because on the one hand, you know, most things are okay unless explicitly prohibited. The other one is we need to be justifying what we're doing and, and saying, here's how it is serving God. Now, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff can be done to serve God. You know, all your normal, you know, eating, sleeping, drinking, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so it's not that all you can do is read the Bible, obviously, or something like that. But, you know, the, the, it does need to come back to, are you doing it for God's glory? And there's a part where I don't even mean this for Christians because I think one of the issues is is people will hear what I just said, you know, my argument for what they would do, and they would go, hey, I have the, you know, someone has the right to do with their property what they want. And there's a part of it where we have this idea that consent, you know, a person's consent to do with their belongings makes something right. And that's not the basis of, the, even things like murder, suicide is wrong because a person doesn't have a right to take their own life. A person does not own their own life. This is why suicide is wrong. Suicide is immoral because you don't own your life. And, and we understand this. I mean, and I, I kind of, I mean, I agree in one sense, but the reason is, and it really is important to state the reason, the reason is, is because God said you don't have the right to take the life. Right. So even though secular law reflects theocratic law, if you will, which is exactly why suicide's against the law. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that you can actually extract it because then you say there's a natural law or something that wasn't driven by the knowledge of God. It was the knowledge of God that made suicide illegal. Right. 
And so a lot of these other things, they're reflected out to the secular basis, but they're reflected out because God's the one who ordered the world. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. God's still the one that and ordered the world. And I think gambling falls into that same category. Gambling, if your knowledge of God is when you when you view God as something that you don't owe anything to, then when you view it that unsaved men don't owe anything to God, you start to go, well, of course they can gamble. Well, of course they can do these things. Well, of course we shouldn't limit people to be able to to be able to do these types of activities. And I mean, the argument that you're making is a stewardship argument, which I mean, I agree with the stewardship argument, but it also explains how you get to the point where you go, we're not talking about pennies. Because if you're playing for Skittles or for pennies, you know, the reality is it's not that much of a stewardship problem. You know, if a dollar changes hands, it doesn't mean that you are a faithless steward. But if you're gambling with $2 million, like Bill Bennett was, well, that is a stewardship problem. Even if you have $20 million in the bank, it doesn't really matter. There was a lot better things you could have done. There's not that much better you can do with a dollar. And even, but there's you know, a lot that you can do with millions. And even, you know, a hundred. You know. Right. Yeah, and I don't mean to be making millions. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that there's a point where you go, okay, if I wouldn't have done this with the dollar, what would I have done that would have had that much more of an impact? A hundred dollars you can do a lot more with than then you should be asking yourself the question, how am I being a good steward with this? And, you know, and, and part of that comes back to, um, like, you know, the parable of the, of the servants where, you know, at the end, the Lord representing God says, you know, you should have, you know, you, you didn't, you, you, where, where the servant buries the money in the ground. And then he says, you could have at least put it with the bankers. Everyone else went and made, made more back. And what if this, the servant said, well, actually, I lost your money because I figured gambling was good stewardship. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, it's, you know, obviously ridiculous. Your, your investment company isn't gambling to make money. I mean, so, so you know, if, if you look at it from the stewardship perspective, it just completely fails. And the other thing I would say, too, is, I mean, you, you want to bring things under the law of God. And I think when you look at the stewardship argument, you'd bring it under two principles in the law of God. One is there's a part of it where it's kind of tied to stealing. It's tied to you have somebody else has money and you want their money and you want to gain it through. You want to gain it through a means that God does not say is a way you should gain it. And the other is, is coveting is that it, is that you see someone else's money that you, you know, it, it, and, and that you're tempting people to do these activities. And. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to bring things, you know, as, as we go through this, we'll come well, back to Well, stewardship is, in its own, a commandment. So right. it, those two are other sins that are related to it as opposed to necessarily and, and subsets. I, and what I meant the, was in the sense of you can bring almost all things under the Ten Commandments in one sense. I mean, and so there's a part of it where just more it's useful to be able to say, where do you see in the Ten Commandments that it's not that not that every commandment has to be direct, but it's, it's always composed of those aspects, I would and say. I mean, we can – I think we should develop this, but – I mean, it really does come down to putting another God before the living God. So that is what it gets broken. Because the reality is when you see the shift in our culture to accept gambling, it matches a shift in our culture to reject the sovereignty of God in all things. Because if there is chance, and let's chance is historically gods are the gods of chance lady luck that's a god of chance fortuna that's a god of chance right i mean these are standard pagan gods and you can't separate the way you get to gambling is you first have to reject that god is in control of all things because if god's in control of all things and he says this is how you're supposed to provide for yourself seek you first the kingdom of god and his righteousness then all of a sudden if you say i'm not going to do that I'm going to provide by my, for myself by buying a lottery ticket. 
well, you've really rejected God's sovereignty in the world, and you right. have to to say it's all about chance. I mean, and bear with me with this argument, but I would say there was a sense where you would be in a better position to open a casino than you would be to one who goes and gambles because the casino says there's no chance God in the casino. God is a God of order, and we know we're going to win more than the other. You know what I mean? They know. They even know that you should watch for the actions of God. They even understand this. They may not articulate that way, but they absolutely understand that. They what, understand. What do you mean? What do you mean by watch for the actions of God? Because I can't think of a you know greasy so casino owner thinking. They all do. So, Every casino owner does. So break that down for us. So you're sitting at a table playing blackjack, and somebody wins five hands in a row. What do they do? They, they bring swap it, they, out the they dealer. Swap out the, They'll <laughs> right. always swap out the dealer because they say there's an order and it's not chance. Because that's what that's saying. They all by believe that you there's mean, an order. By chance, you mean randomness, right? And they go this, is, and they all know it because they all do it because they can lose money if they'll just let somebody keep on a run. And they all see runs. They all know this. I mean, I know somebody that used to deal in Las Vegas, or not Las Vegas, but outside of Las Vegas and Nevada. And they all the casinos do this every single one without fail because they'll go out of business if they reject the idea that there is order beyond chance. And so, and because I think, God, I, even in, the casino owners, has a testimony of right. himself. And I think that's—I just think that's really important to to drive home—is the reason why gambling exists is because the house knows God is a God of order, and because the house knows that the people coming in that door are hoping that God is not a God of order. Yes, or that so God's it, on their side sometimes. Right, and, and, and that's where you dangerous. go back to Lady Luck and Fortune and things like that. In the end of because. There is no reason on earth for you to say, I believe that God wants me to go and dispose of my money in this way so he can make me wealthy. He who hastens to be rich has an evil eye, right? I mean, they are, I mean, this is, and so there's a part of it where you, this, this cannot be something that you do because you believe the God of heaven has commanded you. You are always looking to another God when you believe that luck is on your side. Right. And, you know, when you're looking at, you know, God as a God of order, I mean, different people gamble for different reasons. I mean, some people do it just for fun, plan to lose so much money, you know, and don't, you know, and maybe they'll win a bunch of money, but they're, that's, they're not, that's not their main motivation is to, you know, I think I'm going to make a bunch of money. Other people go and do think they're going to make money and they are, they're denying that God's a God of order because, I mean, you do the math and, you know, you're, you're not making, you're not going to make money. Right. So a, a few years ago, I went to Las Vegas to a, uh, convention out there and the guy that was with me really wanted to gamble so he got two dollars worth of nickels and then we spent like three hours trying to get rid of those nickels because he didn't want to leave until he had lost his two dollars and it took us like hours it was horrible because all we were trying to do is lose his two dollars a nickel and every time we're about to be out he'd win another jackpot and get like three dollars and then we'd have to start over again it was horrible but anyway so I, 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 so people are like but my point is there are people that go and they go i've got two dollars that i want to lose and they go and i'm going to have fun gambling and and is two dollars bad stewardship that's hard to argue well, the with. The other but. thing is the few years ago was probably back when nickels were worth significantly more than oh, they, they are were, now. They were worth a dime a then. Years, this is like a few years. In you life. were alive. Well, I'm not a few years old. So. No matter what the YouTube commenters say. I may not be many years old, but I'm not a few years old.
I mean, in your, your point there, it's a common argument that I gamble for entertainment. I'm very disciplined. I'm very controlled. I'm only, you know, if you went out to a sporting event, you would spend this amount of money. You would lose, you know, you're going to go, you're going to spend $100 to watch people play a game. You're going to pay for food. You're going to pay for tickets. You're going to travel there. You're going to pay for parking. I'm going to go, I'm going to spend $100. They're going to give me food for free while I do it. Once I lose $100, or I may make money and I'll leave with more money, but I'm not going to lose in more than $100 and that's it. And that's what I do for entertainment. And that's, how can you say those two aren't equal? And and I mean, that's Bill Bennett's argument. Right. In a sense, I, I have enough money to do this. And right. And, and, you know, when you're talking about a hundred instead of millions, it, it, it is different. But the, the, the question is also what is making that an enjoyable experience? And, you know, the, the, <laughs> the last I was the least. <laughs> well, the people that are doing it because they enjoy no, he it. He hated it from that moment no, on. The, I people who are going back, yes, the people I who are going back and are doing it, you know, and it's because they, they might make a million dollars or whatever. Or they might make ten thousand dollars. I mean, that's the that's the right. That's that's a big element of what's fun about it. And to say it's wrong, you have to condemn the you have to condemn the act. You have to bring the act under condemnation. I mean, I think, you know, it's because, you know, you, th- th- saying it's entertainment isn't a defense if the action is wrong. Right. And, and, the, right. you know, and if you're looking at, you know, the, 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 the entertaining part about it is you're going to make money without working for it. Right. And we're told how we're supposed to make our money. We're told how we're supposed to get the food that we eat. We're supposed to work for it. And, you know, winning it by, by chance, by God's providence that in, in the in the casino is not the way we're instructed to to use our to, to make our money and even in the case where you're spending two dollars even so you end up wasting time and time's another resource that we have to be good stewards of and you know if you go in playing nickel slots you're not expecting to get rich you're not even really trying to get rich and so you know some people gamble that it's much more entertainment, but then you still say, aren't there better things you could do? There's lots of work to be done, right? The days are full of evil is what it says in, in that Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. So if there's all those things that need to be done, then why are we just going, you know, let's waste our time. And that's also a bigger conversation of, you know, what is rest? What is, you know, you know, what type of activity should you be doing to, you know, relax? Because it's not, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean work every moment of the day or every waking moment of the day. Um, but still, there, there, there's bigger issues with it than, you know, that's that's just one in the list of issues is, is a waste of time. Right. And I think, you know, if you're going there thinking, well, there's one in a million chance I'll be rich and win a million. I mean, that's still covetous. That's still sin. If, if you're if putting you're, your money at risk, that's a stewardship problem. Yeah, if your fundamental framework is there is a blank in a million chance that right. I become rich, then then you, you realize you're making theological commitments there. And those theological commitments are the things that we really want to put the microscope on. Right, and Proverbs is very clear, right? Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so that's an important concept is that even when you think about dealing out cards, God is dictating which every card that will show up. And so what you're doing a lot of times in gambling is you're saying, oh, I'm going to presume against upon God because the odds are against you. The odds are always for the house. And so you're assuming that God is going to make the decisions for you, even though your sin's involved. And, you know, it, 
it's just a rejection of the idea that God has commanded us, so we should be following what God commands, and that God can somehow accidentally bless us, even though it's all under his control. But it, couldn't this be a verse that people would use, you know, pro-gambling, saying, well, I'm just letting God decide whether I should have more money or less money? I mean, if I'm a young Reformed guy and I have drunk of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, I kind of have to say that, right? I mean, that is my argument in favor of gambling would be, okay, well, God is in control of it. Just It's just like casting lots, right? right. Which is like uh, Satan and Christ on the pinnacle of the temple saying, cast yourself down. You know, Satan telling God, Christ cast herself off the temple. And he says, don't tempt the Lord your God. I mean, it, the, the fact that God can give you more money or less money doesn't mean that, you know, you should do anything, anything to, to tempt God to take your money away. Or, your or even away. worse, tempt him to give you a million dollars because God is very clear that he, you know, in the Proverbs it says, let me not be rich nor poor. If I'm poor, I'll steal and blaspheme your name. If I'm rich, I'll forget about you. And the people are saying, my life will be better than it is now if I just had a million dollars. And the answer is, if God's sovereign, he can give you a million dollars in the way that he tells you to get the money, rather than just lusting after the riches. I mean, and this does come down to, there's an idea that, you know, you look at worship, there's like the regulative principle of worship, where worship is very strictly defined. And then you get something like, but the rest of life isn't prescribed in that way. It's not, but there is this part of it where there there are prescriptions outside of worship. They're not as specific as worship, but there are like when we're talking about how you should gain your money and things, and there's just part of it where, I mean, we have a lot of freedom. God gives a lot of liberty, God, but it's not, you can go and do whatever you wish. And I think even, there's even another part of it where I think something that's been lost is people usually go, what's wrong with something? This is a common argument. And I think that's something that you really need to throw out and not just, not just for Christians, but the idea should be you need to argue what's right with it. You need to argue what's good in what you're doing. I mean, God does not tell us, go and do whatever isn't wrong. That's not what he tells you. When you wake up in the morning, just do anything that's not wrong. Just do anything that's not evil. That is not what we're called to actually do good things. And the more we know and the more we understand, the better we can determine what is good. It's like a little child when they, you know, I mean, they're, you know, kids get up and they, they brush their teeth and they get dressed. And that's kind of all we expect from them in the very beginning, you know, is get up, brush your teeth, put on your clothes, come in here and I'll tell you what to do. But as they start to know more, there's a part of it where we expect them to kind of, once they've brushed their teeth and they've gotten their clothes, we expect them, well, you should start doing something. What are the things you need to do? You should start reading the, the books that I've told you to read because we're going to start doing this. You should, and this has really been lost. The idea that there is a, there is an expectation from God that men use their time to do good. And I think when you come to gambling, the only way you can defend gambling is by arguing that it's not bad. The best arguments for gambling is it's, it's not wrong. And, and that's, a, that's just a bad argument for anything. And Paul, I mean, to, to make your, to argue your point from Scripture, I mean, when he says that, you know, I have liberty in Christ and these things aren't necessarily sinful, but they are sinful because they're not profitable. Right. And he uses the term not profitable as saying things are sin. Frequently translated expedient in some other right, expedient. Right, right. But the idea is the things, as a steward of God, as a servant of God, we actually have a duty to be profitable and not just to be the guy who took the talent and hid it in the earth. Right. Right. I mean, that's the unprofitable servant, and that's who gets cast into hell. And that's, that's <laughs> really, and let's, let's go back and say, I mean, what you're saying is, is the person who says, 
all I have to do are things that aren't bad. He got cast into hell because the master came and he said, I expected more of you. Not just not just I expected it, I required more of you. One thing people say is that, you know, well, there was gambling in the Old Testament. They were supposed to cast lots. Casting lots happened in the Old Testament. A lot of people try to equate that with gambling. But gambling is completely different than what casting lots was about. Casting lots was to understand what God was doing, not to say, let's get a randomized thing so that we can bet on it or gamble on it or whatever else. The idea is that every lot was determined by God. So therefore, God could communicate to you through lots, which is what he does when he sets up the high priest, right? Numbers 27, 18 through 21. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him and set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So God set the, the Urim and the Thummim at the high priest as a means to reveal his will. So we think of dealing cards, and when we think of it, we go, oh, that's random. And God goes the or the Old Testament gambling. It was it's not random at all. It is exactly what God determined. So you can actually understand the discovery of God's will through the quote unquote gambling. So their idea of you know the people who look back at that and use that as an ex, you know as an excuse for gambling in the New Covenant, which I have heard, it really doesn't work because the whole point is to discover what God is thinking, and that is not what people are doing when they're you know, throwing dice or dealing cards. In the new covenant, we're not supposed to discover the will of God in the same way, right? I mean, the will of God in the Old Testament, they would go to Eliezer, the high priest, and he would give them wisdom. In the new covenant, we go to Christ, the high priest, and James 1 promises he will give you wisdom. So you don't need the lots anymore. So you're never, it's, it's always wrong to flip a coin because you don't know about something. I wouldn't say it's always wrong, but I would say that you should recognize your lack of understanding is what drove that. You literally have to say, I have no way to think about this other than to say, I'm going to ask God to. And I actually think you should say, I'm at sin here because I don't understand the world well enough to say which is better, but God help me in my sin and tell, and you know, and then but, maybe you could flip a coin. But aren't there things that are not possible for people to know? Like but, tracing but, the lineage back. Like I don't, it's not that they. Oh. That it's not that they. It was that they just did not have the records. It wasn't that the information wasn't there. At least that's the impl implication. Sure, and I would agree. In that case, they were doing a discovery of something else. But in the new covenant, we because it's not based on genealogy, you don't have the same issue. And I'm not sure that there's other things that you can point to and say that issue would believe would belong there, meaning that we've simply lost the information. There's no way to reconstruct it. Well, I mean, you could imagine you could have a similar situation where it's not like uh, you know it's not to determine a priest, but to determine you know an inheritance and you know the city, the library burned down, or you know a similar thing. I mean, you, couldn't you have that same scenario? So like they divided the they divide the promised land by a lot. Yes. Which, which I mean, the thing about it's not just saying I don't know what um, you know what is best, but it's that different people have competing interests, and you know it's 
to say like let's divide it by lot is saying well you know we can you know well, to, to be is a, is a matter of fairness as well like who's well, going and, to and, who's going to decide who gets what and, land and it's not just they're not thinking about it like it's a game of chance where this is this is what we do in order to mitigate those competing interests it's a god has told us this is how you appeal to me in those cases where you don't have it written out what the right thing to do is. Who gets this mountain? Who gets that lake? That kind of thing. And so what they were doing, in a sense, is they are very much obeying God by doing what Absolutely. he told them to do. And it's something that we don't do in the New Covenant. And it's not at all the same as gambling, because you're not looking at it as, I'm just, I'm just casting things on chance. No, you're casting these things because God told you to cast these things to solve these situations. Some of the things that you hear is that, that, you know, well, I needed this, so I went in and I gambled, and God gave it to me, so now I can do X. So, so what's the argument about why that would be wrong? Was that just God revealing his will through the gambling? Just because God gave something to you doesn't mean it's, it's good for you. A young man says, I want to get married, and he goes out and he meets a pretty girl that day, and he marries her. I mean, Samson and Delilah. You know what I mean? I mean, this saying that I wanted something and an event happened is not a good argument for this being what what was good for me to do, even though, yes, God decreed that this is what would happen. And so that's that's never a good argument. That's never a good process. And the the problem with that process— the problem with that argument is that, yes, you got that money, but like you said, did I mean, God in his decretive will wanted you to have that money, but he could have wanted you to have that money for all kinds of reasons. That What is he doing? What's his purpose behind it? And we should recognize that God a lot of times gives us what we want, not because it is, you know, it is, wow, we were right. This is what God wants us to have. It's It can be judgment, too. And we think that when we get what we want, that it's not inherently judgment. But it, or it's inherently not judgment. But that's not true at all, right? I mean, it talks about a dreamer of dreams in Deuteronomy 13, that they can dream something, they can have a vision. And that vision was from God. It comes to pass. It's true. But that's to test people whether they're looking for visions or looking for to obey God. And so, yes, he can give you that money, but you should recognize, why do you think that's not a test from God, whether you're going to follow him as God, which means to obey his commandments, or whether you're just going to go, I'm going to follow the money. God gave me the money, and the money is God. So since I received God from it, why do I want to know what God wants? Why do I want him as my Lord, as my God? It's not a, in the abstract. It's not a complicated thing to say that sometimes God will give you the things that you want as a punishment. Right. Sometimes you want the wrong things, and God says, fine, here, have them. And, or you even want, or you want them, them the wrong by way. the wrong means. And God right. says, fine, here, have it. And then, but, but, and in the moment you don't realize, oh, God's actually judging me. The judgment, you know, God plays the long game all the time. And the judgment is how that affects your character, how getting it that way, as opposed to going out and working for it, you know, you missed an opportunity there to grow and to, you know, sweat a little bit. And Right. The Israelites were stuffed full of quail. Abraham went in and slept with Hagar. He had, you know, I mean, he, I mean, The scripture is full of pictures of men receiving things that they desired and God going, that was judgment on you. And I mean, mean, there's another, I mean, and just fundamental to this is where scripture says, I mean, if you want to look, you want to even look at the lottery winners and ask, ask by studying lottery winners, how many of them was that a good thing for? 
I mean, there's a part where Jesus Christ clearly declares that the person who is faithful with physical money, that he'll be faithful with spiritual things. And when Bill Bennett made his argument that he wasn't doing it, that he had the money, what Christ says is you have to argue that you were being faithful with your money. So is what Bill Bennett was doing with his money, was it full of faith? Was this what his, you know, and, and that's the argument he would have had to have made. And that's the argument that the other people have to make. And that's the argument we each have to make with what we come to, that this is something that is full of faith. And if you can make that argument, then I'm not going to get in your way, but you can't fake faith. And that's, that's really where most people fail is they, they lie about their faith. They lie and say they have faith. And Second Thessalonians 3, you know, it bears on this because Paul is, you know, exhorting us to, to compare ourselves and how we're living with, with his example. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. And so you, you have the, the people who are following Paul's example, and you have the people who are walking disorderly, who are seeking to not work. And, you know, which one do lottery winners, which one do, you know, gambling winners fall into? And when Paul says, I mean, Paul, the, the, the framing of this around being orderly, and then the example that Paul gives in the middle, I, I mean, that to me, again, there's more and more things that really just tear gambling apart. You cannot, I mean, orderliness is not just that you did things in a certain, I mean, it's that, that, that things were designed by God to happen in a, certain, in a certain way. And this is what I was talking about before, about there's a, there's a prescriptive aspect to things in the world, that God really does tell us there are things that you should go about in a certain way. And Paul's very much making that argument here. It's so important that we acted in this way before you, so you should understand how you should live. And this is kind of like the kid who gets up in the morning, the parents teach them, they teach them how to live. And Paul says, this is what we did among you. We dwelled among you and we showed you how you should live. To be really clear about what that is, just to put the context there, right, is Paul saying, we could have come and you had every obligation to provide for us, but we made tents. We provided for ourselves to set an example for you. And that's what immediately comes before these verses. So this is Paul saying, where we had the right to order because of orderliness to expect you to provide for us because of the labor we're doing. He says, I didn't do that because I wanted to teach you to be orderly. He's the same guy that elsewhere makes the argument, you need to pay your pastor. Right. And here he's saying, and, and, and like what you're saying with this, he could have been pushing that argument here. Instead, he says, look, we did something different as an example. And he's not even saying that they wouldn't have provided for him. He's saying, right. we saw your society and said, you need to learn to work. And so therefore we're going to work because you need to see that example. So if we're supposed to do things orderly, so how does the, how does the stock market fall into that? Because, you know, I've heard that argument as well, that a lot of times, well, the stock market's gambling. Is the stock market gambling? Is it wrong to invest money in the stock market? 
I mean, first of all, when we started off, we kind of mentioned that like there's a part of this in gambling where you put up you put up your money and you put up and there's some chance thing that happens and because of it you acquire someone else's money. The stock market doesn't fundamentally work that way. When you invest in something, there's not this fundamental demand that someone else lose their money equal to the amount that you made. You know what I mean? It's I mean you can have some you can have one company that goes belly up and that is not and that can have nothing to do whatsoever with another company. And so I mean there are situations where there's directly causal relationships between two companies, but that's not fundamentally that's not a requirement in the stock market. You can take an equity position in the company. That company does well. It doesn't mean that they that the other that someone else you were wagering against their money directly and that they lost their money because of toss of the dice. But I mean, I've heard people talk about say shorting the market as something like that that you are wagering. Oh, certain- I mean, and, and so there can be actions taken where you might be gambling and someone else might not be. There may be, and so I mean, there's a part of it where if you don't like you talked about knowledge before, if you don't have any knowledge and you don't know anything and you just go and you just throw money into something. That can be a form of gambling where we would say, what are you doing? You're just throwing this on a pure chance. You've just thrown yourself upon this. And there can be people who clearly have knowledge and clearly know what they're doing and where they're not gambling. And so, I mean, the stock market really doesn't fit into the direct picture by itself. It doesn't fit into the picture of gambling, even though people like to make it out to. And a lot of people well, do use the stock market to gamble. Absolutely. So I think the difference is, fund in my mind, the difference is fundamentally when the stock market was established, it was a way to raise equity capital so that you could produce more. And then there was a return on that equity. What happens over time, though, is because of the nature of man, is people manipulate it and twist it so there becomes a gambling aspect or means to gamble with it. And to some extent, there's also, you invest in, say, the S&P 500, there's a real sense that you're saying you believe that the that the economy of the U.S. will increase because that's fundamentally how it moves with. But there's, on given stocks, it moves all kinds of different ways that are much more speculative, much more about gambling, much more about can I short something, can I do a trade in a day? And so these things get complicated. I don't think that the stock market inherently is gambling, but there's lots of ways to gamble with the stock market. Just like playing football isn't inherently gambling, but there's lots of ways to gamble with football. Right. You know, because it, uh, you know, idealized level, the stock market is, you know, a lot like just investing or investing money with someone you know who's starting a business. You know, in a way, that's the same thing, which that, I mean, is pretty obviously right. not gambling. But on the uh, it can go all the way to just like pure, you know, gambling. Counting cards in blackjack is about the closest thing in gambling that I could see as being analogous to, you know what I mean? Like when people want to, you know, which you actually did counting cards in blackjack. But that is not what, when you talk about gambling, that is not what most people mean. Whenever you say with a roulette wheel, I'm going to put my money on three, it's not like you've been saying, I've been watching three, and three's been doing really well. Three's been playing its number well. Three's been investing its money. You know what I mean? You, well, you, you, people you, do say that, but people, they're just right, wrong. <laughs> right, they're just making it up. There is no knowledge you can have about three or that are black or red that you, whereas you can have right. knowledge about a company that says this is a good place to put money because I see what this company's been doing. That, that, I mean, is like a farmer planting crops in an area where he says these crops will grow better over here. You can do things with knowledge. In most types of gambling, there is no specific knowledge that you're leveraging that's in a righteous way that you're leveraging. I mean, that's that's really a distinction. Because you're man and you're not God, when you put your money out there, there's, there is the possibility of, of risk. Right. You know, and and the question that we're really focusing on with gambling versus other kinds of 
investment is, is this a righteous form of risk? Is this the sort of thing? You know, take, take, we talked many times about the parable of the stewards. And really, the, the bad guy in that story is the guy who didn't want to take any risk, who right. wasn't really willing to risk things. Not even with a... a- a person who would pay him interest. Right. And and so the the master comes back and he rewards the profitable servants. Well, the only way they were profitable was they had to put their money out for risk. They had There was the possibility that they may not have had anything back. That's what the one guy feared. And that's a sin too. So so we're not saying that you should never risk your money, that you should never that you should never hang on to your money such that you never plant a seed in the ground. Because it might die and not produce a plant. Right. You can't just go, let's build more barns and bigger and fill them up, and then we'll just sit back and be comfortable. It's You're supposed to do stuff with the resources you have, and that still comes back to the stewardship argument. But I think you also have to be – there's so much gambling that happens with the stock market. It's naive right. to pretend like it doesn't because right. it does all over the place. I mean, it, it, you just think about the sorts of things where you hear an experienced financial advisor who basically says, invest your money and then just leave it. Maybe you carefully move it around here or there, but the, the way that you're going to make returns is just long-term investment as opposed to somebody who became a day trader when that became right. something with the internet. That person's gambling and almost all of them were losing their money. There were very few day traders as a percentage of the whole that were making anything kind of significant. It's just like any other gambling thing. The house made a huge amount of money because they get fees fees for each one of those transactions. Each trader is doing just fine. And and there's a big difference because, you know, if you're going short term, it's mostly based – it's not – you know, how is the company growing their business over years? It's what do other people think of the company tomorrow, which is your – the company's value – usually didn't change between yesterday and today as much as people's opinion of it did. If Yeah, if you're thinking is that, oh, this stock's going to go up tomorrow versus, hey, that's a really solid company. I'm going to put some money there and leave it there for a year or five years. Or you know, that's a very different kind of approach. The first guy is clearly gambling. The last guy, he may or may not be making a wise investment, but he's got a different mindset. And some of these go back to the principles we've already talked about where scripture says, if you're trying to become rich quickly if you're trying to gain money quickly scripture just god just cut you off right there sorry that's not something you that, that's that's not something you have you you have evil motives and so i mean it's it's yeah there's, there's a lot of principles that that really cut across these things right and then there's you know there's more of it there's a question too of you know how are you advancing the world how are you advancing you know you know uh christianity because if you're just uh if if you're you know at a casino making money at a casino you know how is that helping the world in any way versus if you're putting your money in a company that is building things better and cheaper for people you know you're using your money to not just make more money for yourself but you're actually helping other people by the use of your money and yeah we're supposed to take dominion of the world and sometimes resources have to be you know, gathered together to do that. And that's what the stock market was originally intended for. There is a purpose that is a, that is a potentially righteous pur- purpose that the stock market has that a casino does not. That a roulette wheel doesn't. Right. Put also on here, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-seven. she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And this is the Proverbs 31 woman that, you know, is a picture of the church. It's a picture of what a righteous woman is supposed to look like in ways. And so... 
you know, not eating the bread of idleness, part of gambling is typically founded in desiring to eat the bread of idleness. And we're not supposed to do this. That's not what the bride of Christ is supposed to look like. And so when we gamble so that we get resources a different way than through work, we're really eating the bread of idleness. And that's a bad, that's not how we're supposed to feed. We're supposed to feed off of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I will give you all these things. We're supposed to be providing for ourselves from our work or trusting for God to provide for for us by us doing the things that God would have us to do. And I think I think this verse again it points towards a, another aspect of kind of prescription in scripture because you can have someone who goes and they say I'm going to become the best poker player and they can say they worked really hard to become the best poker player. They had to memorize probabilities and different distributions and different you know different hands and positions and you know all these different things. But what scripture is pushing here and what Paul was pushing previously in Thessalonians is the purpose is to be productive. The purpose is to actually do things that produce things in the world. And that, and this doesn't mean that they can't be things. You mean there can be things that it, whether it's writing, whether it's you know it's producing things that's good, for, useful for the church, useful for the world. That you're, you're, but it's to actually be productive. And we've actually lost that sense of the the value of work and even just work ethic. And I think that's something that again, like you said, this gambling very much goes against this. If you look at if you look at the shape and the pictures of what casinos are like and what they promote and what all these things are promoting, they're not promoting people to be productive. Just as a basic economic principle, there's there's no wealth creation as as a net with right. the gambling industry. It's a place where money goes in and but it's not something where but you, it really helps the mob. It <laughs> yes, but it's not creating wealth. Across the board, the way that a farmer You're does, saying it is a zero or a sum miner thing, right? does, I mean, or yeah, it, it very much is a zero sum game, and it's it's not a positive sum game like so many other economic activities are. Because the reality is, I mean, and I was I wasn't joking about the mob, right? I mean, the mob has always been very associated with gambling, so it's prostitution in so the United States. In the United States, sure, um, but you look and these things that are associated. I mean, there's not just in the United States, but throughout the world, there's a lot of sins that are inherently related to gambling and that people associate with gambling. And so we shouldn't think that, I mean, where you're talking about not being a zero-sum game, that it being negative. I mean, it's used to fund a lot of other things that are not good but at and, the same time. And how much of that is because of the regulation of it? Like if you, if you, have to, if you centralize all the gambling in Las Vegas... Doesn't that doesn't that lead to organized crime taking it over? I think that leads to well, two answers to that. One is yes, that's true, but the other thing is that that sin tends to beget other sins. So I think you'd still see it in other forms, not in the same form that you see it in the United States because of the heavy regulation or the heavy regulation twenty years ago. And so you know those things, but sin begets sin, and it doesn't just beget the same sin. So this is a. a a problem that's growing massively, and one of the things that you're saying is, hey, look at places where historically we know gambling has happened, not exactly centers of uprightness and moral righteousness. And now we're just going to take, we're going to take an activity that we know in this context is associated with a bunch of really bad things, and now bring it to you. It's available to you in your living room, in your smartphone, at your your local NHL hockey rink 
Right. I mean, and, and we talked about it before. It's about taking advantage of other people. It's about covetousness. It's about poor stewardship. It's about lack of productivity. It's about not working. It's about all these things that when you adopt these as a good principle to build your society on, which is what we've done when we say gambling should be everywhere, there will be real take, consequences that are beyond the amount of money people spend gambling. I mean, take you, you missed the top shelf one. It's a denial of the sovereignty sure. of God. If you deny the sovereignty of God, then all the bad things follow on that. And to some extent, what I would argue is the people who don't believe in God always reject the sovereignty of God. So the problem is the church is not declaring the sovereignty of God, which puts constraints on all these other kinds of sin that people recognize without knowing God. They recognize that there's really negative consequences to it, right? If you sit around and just covet something all the time, people can see in their life that really damages. If they say, well, if everybody stopped working, what would the country be like? They can figure that out without knowing there is a God that is sovereign. Or they could. But we're losing that. Right, exactly. We're, and I think we're, we're losing, that losing that because the church is no longer expressing it because the church has lost the idea of the sovereignty of God. Therefore, it loses the connection to the other things. And so when the church was teaching people to obey those other things, even when they don't believe in God, it had a real positive effect on the community and on the culture. And now we're losing that and we're shifting to gambling, which doesn't have a positive effect view on the culture. So I think it's directly related to the loss of the sovereignty of God, but I think it's more related to that that loss of it in the church that's producing these cultural sins that are no longer constrained because the church isn't looking and saying, you expect God to bless this? I mean, if you look at this chart, this is from the Federal Reserve. And, you know, this is the size of the airline industry is like $101 billion dollars. This is saying that I think it was $162 billion. And so you can see how much and how rapidly that the, the gambling industry is increasing in size. I mean, it's, it's huge, and it's rapidly increasing. I mean, it's, it wasn't that long ago that it was a lot smaller than a lot of industries, and it's getting a, to be bigger and bigger. And it's, we should expect continued exponential growth because the reality is, I mean, I was talking to somebody who's, whose child works for one of these gambling companies, and now you can like bet on every shot in a, a basketball game. Are they, who's gonna shoot next? Who's gonna, is it gonna be a two-pointer or is it gonna be a three-pointer? Are they gonna make it or are they not gonna make it? And this is on their smartphone and they're betting on that. Well, that just opens up the ability to gamble at such a higher level than it ever was before. So we're in a society where it has been exploding. We can start to see some of the effects of it exploding where people get successful and then they go, oh, yeah, I won this money gambling, and then other people do it instead of working. We should expect that these negative consequences to build faster and faster in our culture and our communities. One of the reasons that I would say that God hates gambling is because it attacks, it oppresses the poor. It oppresses the weak. I've been American poor, and not super poor, but I mean, I've grown up where I didn't have a lot. And, I, and I've had times in my life where we had crippling medical debt and, and bad decisions that I've made myself. And it's really dangerous to let someone stand out there. I mean, it's, it's just like tempting people with sex. You know, come, come and you can sleep. You can have a moment of comfort. Come and you can do this. That's evil to allow people to stand and promote. And it's evil to let someone who is downtrodden by sin, who, I mean, by their own decision, by other things, by whatever, you know, but who is downtrodden, to allow someone to stand out there and go, come and get rich. Come and spend a little bit of the money you have. Come and, you know what, the money you have, what are you going to do with it? You're going to save that? You're going to save that dollar? What's that going to do? 
What's that going to do? Come and spend a dollar, and maybe you'll be a millionaire tomorrow. Maybe you'll be a multimillionaire tomorrow. It is an absolute attack on the poor. And there's a part of it where when you think about this, when you look at it, what happened is, is the church allowed, because of the church of its weakness, we allowed the government and our state to attack the poor. And the growth of gambling is this. God says, guess what? The government is now going to view you all as if you're the poor. The growth of gambling is before there was a small group of people who were being tempted by this. And God says, I'm going to cause you all to be tempted by this. The whole nation is going to become a group of people who are going to be tempted to spend themselves in this way. We've gone from where it was a very small percentage of people were tempted by this. And now look at the growth. That's the judgment of God on the nation. That is the judgment. We should expect America to become a nation full of poverty because that's what we're seeking and that's what we're pursuing. And we'll drive away from work. And I mean, one of the statistics that I was looking at and I thought about making a graph, but I ended up not, is that if you look basically every quintile, every fifth of the American economic scale, they all spend roughly the same amount of money. But what that means is that the poor actually per person spend about six times as much of their income on gambling as the wealthiest person does. And you have in there a Bill Bennett who's losing $2 million. And so when you look at these things and you you consider it, it's an attack on the poor because the poor are gambling a lot more because they're, this is what the government is selling where hope is. This right. is They're saying that money will fix your problem because that's what we say throughout our society. Yep. And and they're they're putting up big billboards, basically going, you could have 170 million if you won the big ball or whatever it is. You know, I don't know what the name of the the lotteries are, but they constantly do these things to tempt people to to covet, right? And they're pushing covetousness on a society, and they do it in lots of other ways too, right? I mean, that's that's how we get our tax system. That's how there's so many ways that they push covetousness on on the American people and try to leverage covetousness to accomplish what they want, but. It ends up being an attack on the poor. And the church has a real responsibility to protect the poor from oppression. And when somebody who holds the sword chooses to do this to oppress people, that's a real sin. And the church has real culpability there. You know, because there is a question here of, you know, should gambling be illegal? Um, and, you know, you can look at it from, well, you know, was gambling illegal in Israel? But, you know, we kind of have a different issue right now, which is that a lot of the gambling is run by the government. And part of the reason it's illegal is because you won't be involved in the government. You're not spending your money gambling in the government's lottery if you're spending your money at, you know, other gambling establishments. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, that's an interesting question to discuss, but it's not really where we're at so much in a lot of ways is, you know, the government in North Carolina is promoting gambling and, you know, they're the ones running the gambling. So, and they were one of the last ones. I mean, most states had it before North Carolina that have a lottery. And I, I just even remember growing up when horse racing was the other thing that you could legally gamble on. And if I remember the numbers right, and of course this was from a few years ago, <laughs> like twice Joshua's age ago, I mean, at that point in time, the government was making three times as much money off of the horse tracks as the horse track took in, not after expenses. The they got like a twenty percent cut, and the government got like sixteen percent of it, and they got four percent that they ran the track off of. And so governments have, I mean, they like casinos, they like horse track, they like off track betting, and don't think that the house is just the house. 
frequently the government gets more of the house's money than the house does. And so the governments are promoting these things because the tax revenue is really significant. And think about it the other way. You have all these people that are, that are buying lottery tickets that make, that pay no income tax. And all of a sudden they get $20 million because they win it. So all these people that pay no income tax, they throw a dollar in and then the government gets a cut of that and then they get paid 20 million and they immediately pay 10 million in taxes. Right. I mean, that's how the system works. And so the government really likes it because they make people that are not taxable, taxable. And when the government becomes the house, if you still want to promote gambling, you don't understand where, where scripture says righteousness exalts a nation. Because I mean, think about it. I mean, if, if the government is saying this is how, this is what we want our people to be. The government's not saying we want people who have children, who teach their children to work. They don't want, they don't want you to teach your children. They don't want you to have any part of teaching your children. They don't want you to teach your children to work. They don't want you to teach them to be wise. They don't want you to be wise. They don't want you to be, they're not even interested in you being productive. They're not interested in you becoming, a, I mean, you look at these things. I mean, this is what God turns us over to is he turns us over to leaders who look at you as nothing more than turning the nation into a giant slum in a sense. They don't, they don't have any more dreams for its citizens than that. And that's a real problem. And so when we look at this, this should cause us to fall down our knees and plead with God to have mercy, to, to turn from our sin, to turn from our foolishness, because this is the judgment of God. It's just one more of of 20 different forms of the judgment of God that we've been reaping over the past, you know, 50, 60, 80 years. I'll, I'll pick other low-hanging fruit while you're at it that you talk, we've been talking about the lottery a lot. Well, in North Carolina, and as in many states, it's the education lottery. It's for the kids. And if you step back from that, you could you could cast it in a really pernicious light. And I don't know if anybody ever actually sits down and has done this equation, but practically speaking, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, let's use this money to continue funding this education system that's going to continue to produce mathematically illiterate people who will keep funding our lottery that produces, you know, that will right. then further produce these people who have no understanding that you will never make money on the lottery. Right. And every now and then, somebody's going to win, and we'll put them in the newspaper and on the evening news. And always remember, those are ads. And 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 we'll appeal to those that that winners bias that that will just keep. That'll be known as the dean's list. Yeah, the people who win the lottery. You know. <laughs> Yeah, because but, in the end, but, that's what they're saying the, is these are the smart ones. The fact it's it's really, I mean, it's really evil to think that this is how we've decided we're going to fund education is by effectively stealing from a poor, uneducated class. And what willfully poor and willfully uneducated in many cases. And I think you know what I was arguing at the time when North Carolina was adopting it is basically what you're doing is you're incenting math teachers to make sure that nobody understands risk reward, nobody understands probability, nobody understands any of these concepts because most lotteries 50% goes to the state, 50% is paid out. Uh, okay, maybe a third is paid out because you know 16% is used roughly to to manage the lottery. So you end up $1 out of three comes back to the people who win. Well, you don't win that way. But I mean, the, there's no net positive that way. That's a better way to phrase it. But when you look at, at what's going on in our nation, we've like completely lost the idea of risk. 
and completely lost the idea of balancing risk and reward. And you can't talk about those things and talk about the, that you should play the lottery because the answer is, of course you shouldn't. It's stupid. But then you look at something like COVID where all of a sudden people just can't understand risk reward there either. What's the risk of having everybody stay home and the whole government shut down? I mean, as a nation, when you when the government has a real incentive for nobody to understand how how you should consider risk, what you should think about when you do risk, I mean, it causes real problems, and it it those reflect out beyond the lottery. And we did a whole podcast on the bank bailouts, where that's really the core issue is right. just where do you localize risk, and then the government's reaction with those bailouts was really shifting risk such that... So that nobody can measure risk, nobody can understand risk. And that's really what's required for the lottery to work. And I'm not saying they're doing it just for the lottery to work, but we should recognize as a nation, we don't think about things right. And so that's why the lottery can work and raise revenue. You know, going back to, you know, another group of of gamblers, the people who are just saying, well, I'm going, I'm going to lose a couple hundred dollars. That's expected. And, and the, the issue there is when they're doing that, they're not just paying for entertainment. They're paying the casino to then giving the casino money for them to advertise to people who are not going to spend $100 advertising to people who are impoverishing their family, who are driving themselves deep in debt, often with the full encouragement of the casino. And that, you know, if you're participating in that, you're helping pay for those people to be brought in you're you're helping lure those people in and that's that's a real a real problem a consistent nature of of gambling is that it takes takes advantage of the weak right i mean you you know after the whole indulgence thing got shut down with the roman catholic church you know what they did was they still took advantage of the weak in other ways because a lot of the bingo and stuff I mean, the Roman Catholic Church, I remember growing up, they would have bingo games. And who came to the bingo games? Not the wealthy people. It started during the Great Depression, right? I mean, that was right. the big growth. I mean, so it's like, right, this is this is when everybody had lots of extra money to spend on things. Right, and so the Roman Catholic Church, the revenues are hurting, so they decide that they'll take advantage of people because, you know, and it's only a couple bucks. They go, you know, it's entertainment, it's all this other th- things. But it really is taking advantage of people that are just hoping for that $200 pot that they put their dollar in and then they play bingo and they hope to get the $200. And, you know, and this is, this was you know, very common. And I don't know if it still continues to be common, but in Roman Catholic areas, this was very common. And so it becomes, I mean, one of the things that slowed down the growth of gambling in this country was actually was competing with the Roman Catholic Church, not just the government and their lotteries. I mean, when you look, I mean, we were talking about the poor and small amounts of money. I mean, scripture says, he that's faithful in small things, I will make him rule over much. And so it's a complete denial of, of, of having faith in Scripture because in the end what you're doing, you're attacking people who have said, I've never viewed money the way I should. And you go, yeah, don't change. Right. Let so, us help you take away that money so that you don't view right. it any differently. I mean, and as opposed to going, you know what? Actually, those $2 do matter. Those $5 do matter. I mean, when you look at Bill Bennett, the answer is, is Bill Bennett was on the decline. Bill Bennett had probably in his, you know, I mean, I mean, if there have been points in his life where he may have been more faithful in things, and that may have been where, he, you know, I mean, Bill Bennett, if he's doing this and he's racking up millions of dollars, he might say he has the money. But if he lived long enough, he was on the decline. That's what was going on because he had stopped being faithful in small things. And so either Bill Bennett was always a charlatan and he had never been faithful or he had that's had what some, I'm going for, but that's just had, me. Or he had had some elements of faithfulness early in his life. 
God, had re- you know, he had been rewarded by doing work because God's a faithful master and you do certain work. But Bill Bennett was on the decline and you shouldn't look at him and go, just because he had the money, he could do it. No, he was headed towards poverty. He may not have hit it before he died, but you shouldn't look at it and go, that's the way to be. As gambling increases in our country, what, what effect should we expect to see? I mean, one thing that I would say is that the more you promote gambling, the less you promote work because the two are very much in competition with each other. Work says you get a fair reward for your labor, that you go out and work, and if you work hard, and if you try to be productive in your work, not just work for the sake of working, not just filling a space, but if you're actually trying to be productive, that that there is reward for it. And gambling says there's not. And we already have, we've already done an episode on, on you know, the number of people who don't want to work. But we should just recognize that this is really an attack on the work ethic of this country. And the work ethic is why, because we are filthy rich compared to other countries in the world. And this is, this is a lot of it has to do with our work ethic. And we should recognize what this is. This is a real attack on the work ethic. If you, you attack work, it's going to not just affect work, but it's going to decrease our ability to even understand value. And there's, you know, and so that ends up being poverty through across the board, because in a sense, there's a part of it where someone that's, that's poor, what they are is they, they don't understand where value is. They don't understand what things are valuable and they don't understand how to preserve value. And so you don't always become, as you, you know, I mean, as, as poverty increases, sometimes people still have money, but that's going to be on the decrease. But what starts first is they don't understand value. And that's going to impact everywhere from thinking of, and you already see it with, with family, with what things in the world are worthwhile, where people should spend their time, how they should spend those things, all of those things change, not just not just in work, but in the sense of in the things of, even if you do work, what you work for and what things are worth working for. And when you promote covetousness, which is what it's doing, right? I mean, it's saying that you shouldn't work for things, you should just expect to get them. Well, it creates a much more self-centered culture. I mean, that's what you are moving towards the more you focus on the idea that that you should expect to get something for nothing is that you should expect to take things from other people which is effectively covetousness and that everything is owed to you which gets reflected in our tax code i mean we see i mean this is the argument that goes on in every election cycle is how much should we punish the wealthy for the fact that there's people who are poor even though the people largely that are poor in many ways are impoverished by the government, right? That's what the Bible says, that in the furrow of the poor there is much much food, but the, I forget, the, the wickedness of injustice steals it, something like that. And, and this is what we're seeing, and this is one of the ways that that happens so that people go, it's not worth working. I can just gamble, and maybe I'll, I'll make a million dollars, and I'll get out of the situation. And so covetousness, like, ripples through the society, too. It doesn't just stay where it is. You become kind of the worst form of a, of a materialist, the most shallow form of materialist, because in the end, everything comes down to just cash as opposed to wealth. And, and wealth, wealth, is, wealth is broad, and, yeah. and cash is, is very, very shallow. If you were hoping for less political corruption... Bringing legalized gambling to your state is not the way to do it. Just you're 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 not going to have better politicians who are have fewer temptations and less pressure on them to be corrupt. I mean, if you look, I mean, right now, I mean, like if you look in places that allow gambling, I mean, it's it's regulated really strictly. Like you know, a a slot machine has to give out a certain has to be 
programmed so that it wins in a certain percentage of the time and gives a certain amount of money out. I mean, these things are like down to very specific percentages. Mm -hmm. But in places where when you start having corruption, they just adjust them so you win even less. I mean, so it's, you know, so there's a part of it where, I mean, the chance of winning becomes even less than it was before. I mean, because there's a part of it where you, you forget, you look at it, you go, no, 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 they'll be really strict. No, they won't. They'll just, they'll just cheat you out of more. Line will abound and line will abound everywhere. And it's what you see. It's where you see corruption at all different levels, because in the end, gambling is corruption. It is a, it, in its nature. I remember years ago where we were doing a, a project for a, a company that did did risk assessment for the stock market and stuff and company risk assessment and all these people, they did online gambling. And I'm like, so there's no regulation in that. Do you understand how easy it would be for them to steal 5% off and you never know it? Oh, I would know it. I'm like, you are a fool. <laughs> you are an absolute fool. But all these people are so trusting that they go, they would never be corrupt. Right. It's gambling. Right. I mean, that's literally the, I mean, I'm not saying that's the exact words, but that was, that was definitely the sentiment that they were telling me is it's gambling. They would never cheat. You know, people cheat in gambling all the time. Right. It's like a, a very common place to cheat, but yet everybody thinks nobody would cheat there. Of course there's corruption. Of course it produces corruption because it's the idea of wealth without work. You know, that's the whole cryptocurrency thing. A lot of that people are treating it like gambling, and there was a tremendous amount of corruption, including a tremendous amount of government corruption. So it's you know it's a great example of, <laughs> of gambling run amok. Right. When you produce something and you get paid for what you produce, as an inherent constraint on corruption. When you're getting paid for stuff that you don't pr produce, it's really hard to constrain corruption. So I think there's an analogy that I want to tease out a little bit that that I don't know quite what the end of it is. But but when you take other vices that are have become more available and more mainstreamed in, in American culture, and you look at what's happened to that, and as a Christian, you can look at how damaging it is to the culture, to the church, to an individual. Take something like pornography, where you know it's, it's easy for us to, to think about, okay, it's always been available, but there were times where you had to make an effort to go there. You can say the same thing about gambling. It's always been mm -hmm. available for Americans, but you had to make an effort. You had to go to Churchill Downs and bet at the racetrack. You had to go to Las Vegas. You know, you had to make an effort. Well, that that sales friction is just right completely wiped away now. And so with that kind of availability and the mainstreaming of it, really, where we're, we can no longer even think about, okay, this thing's a vice. Now, this is a fun thing to do with your friends. This is just, it's becoming normalized. I don't think we really have any sense of how damaging that's going to be or that, you know, I don't, I don't think culturally we quite understand all of the effects that are going to be from resulting from that. Just like we didn't quite understand how damaging online pornography would be or, or the church wasn't looking down the road saying, whoa, do you see how far this goes? And I think that that's, that's, you know, the church has the ability to see that if they'll sit down and reason from Scripture. But I think that the church doesn't want to sit down and reason from Scripture so they can't guess what's going to come next, even though it's pretty obvious. You know, you, you have a nation that just seeks after the things of the world. Well, what did God do to Israel when it was like that? He wiped them out. 
Right? I mean, we know what he did. It's right. not like it was a secret. And then you look at Solomon, where they really get very, very wealthy. But Solomon's all about work. This is how his his attendants set the table. This is right. I mean, it was all about it was all about work and about production. And God didn't judge them for that. He judged them when they just start to seek after the things that were around them. And they just covet. And we're already a culture where, I mean, we've done a podcast on this too, just talking about the number of men who are out of the workforce with no intention to go back in. And it, you know, this may be a chicken and egg thing here with the gambling, but it's clearly this is a the sort of vice that's going to appeal to the kinds of sins that we already find appealing, the, the character traits that are enabling those kinds of sins. This is just further feeding that. And we don't recognize how much that societal norms put constraints on people, right? I mean, you look, you go back 80 years, and it's not that men didn't have the same lusts, but you didn't have the same level of adultery. You didn't have the same level of divorce. You didn't have the same level of all these things. There were these things. It's not, let's not be naive. But when the society is looking at it going, this is really evil, that really constrains things enormously. And as the society, we're losing these norms to say, no, you shouldn't just hope to win the lottery and win a million dollars. Well, you lose that, and it loss of societal norms has real effect on the growth of sins and on related sins to the original sin. And I think when you talk about related sins, I mean, one of the responsibilities of the church is to believe in invisible things. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the church is the one who says, I can see the things that the world cannot see. It can see things that are spiritually hidden. There's people who'll be listening to this, and they'll going, they'll be going. So many of your arguments are like they're they're tangential. This suppresses the poor. This leads to this. And I'm saying, yes, that is the job mm-hmm. of the church. That is the church's job, is to see that if you do these things, you oppress the poor, and God hates it when you oppress the poor, and he will destroy you. If you do this, it causes people to be lazy, and God hates laziness. If you, you know what I mean, all right. these things, this is what the church is supposed to do, is the church is supposed to see these things and actually believe in them and not go, well, that could happen. No, the world looks at things, and the world says, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen. The, the church looks at it and it says, God will do these things because we believe that God causes all things. Right. We may not be able to tell the time frame, but we know right. what God does. That's, yeah, that's really important because— It's the opposite of gambling. It's, well, there, there's, there is a real opportunity and a real blessing for the church when God pulls back the societal norms. If if the societal norm if if you lose the theological grounding that makes those societal norms good if you if you don't have that and all you've got is the societal norms and you know you're just a nation of hypocrites and when God pulls that back this is the church's chance to say all right it's time to start building it up from the ground say what, why these things what work, should are the be societal reasons let's start with the sovereignty of God let's and then let's go from there and say things like oppression of the poor let's actually think about this in ways that we've not thought about it for a generation. And gambling, like we started at the beginning, gambling is denying the sovereignty of God. When the sovereignty of God grows, gambling will go away because you see all the other things and you understand him. And so, I mean, it literally is the opposite of gambling. When the church understands it, gambling disappears. The sovereignty of God doesn't need to grow. It's, it's plenty mature. <laughs> the, 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 the knowledge of, of the yes, sovereignty of God. Go. Versus the denial of it, yes. So it's easy to think that gambling is no big deal, but it actually is both both promoting sins that are in our culture and also exposing sins that already exist in our culture, but allowing them to flourish and grow. 
we should recognize when we embrace things that's so contrary to how God says we're supposed to live and act in our society and to be around other people that it will really cause damage. And the church really needs to stand up and be saying and being the pillar and ground of the truth and saying there is reality of what God does in the world. And these have consequences, and you can pretend like you can ignore God, but God is still sovereign, and he will cause the consequences to come to pass. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.